and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018, and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Sober Bliss Meets with me, Gail. Today I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful Victoria Adams who is a food therapist, yoga teacher and a trained nutritional chef. And Victoria is joining us today to talk about how drinking affects what we eat and how that in turn affects our bodies and our general well-being. So thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, oh, me too. <laughs> uh, okay, then. So just before we get on to talk about, you know, um, how drinking affects how much we eat, what we eat, could you just kind of um, bring some clarity to, you know, the idea that drinking red wine in particular is good for us because it's made of grapes? Is that true or not? <laughs> I remember reading from a very young age, every now and then in the newspaper, the articles would come out glass of red wine or two is great for you because of the phytonutrients they contain mm. or the antioxidants or x nutrient or some new thing that scientists have discovered and what keeps coming up is that resveratrol which is in red wine uh, red wine as opposed to white wine is is good for us and yes resveratrol is great for our systems uh, people say that it helps with burning fat um oh. But the thing is, when it comes to choosing to have a certain food or a certain liquid for the nutritional benefits it contains, the amount of resveratrol that there is in alcohol in red wine is so small that you would have to drink gallons and gallons and gallons of red wine just to get enough, you know, the same amount that you'd get in a punnet of berries. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's marketing. it's marketing, it's marketing, you know, and then in the same you can have insulating alcohol. Uh, for for opposite reasons the main thing is when you're having alcohol if you're going to drink you know just choose the one you enjoy don't choose one because you've read an article saying it contains you know a certain nutrient to justify it because at the end of the day if you're having it because you want to get the nutrients out of it you'd be better off having some fruit yes that's not been fermented Yes, that's a good point. That's very true. So what kind of foods can we eat then to get those particular nutrients that you do find in, in red wine, for example? Well, uh, red grapes would be the obvious one because red wine, uh, those grapes. However, berries, berries are fantastic to get into your system. Um, they are a low sugar form of, of energy for us. All the fruits, all the fruits and vegetables are carbohydrates. We're in this uh, movement now where we're trying to avoid carbs and by that people mean you know the starchy carbs the breads the pastas etc yeah but fruit vegetables are nature's carbs and that's something not to shy away from 
Um, and when it, when it comes to what fruit should I be eating, well, the more colourful, the better. And in terms of why should I be eating more berries? Well, if you think about the skin on a berry, it's very, very thin. Uh, you know, they're quite delicate. If I drop a few, they get squished immediately. Yeah. Whereas banana skins are quite thick. Orange skins are quite thick. And all fruit, just like us, when we wear sun cream, wants to protect itself from rays of the sun. The thinner skin a fruit has, the less protected it is from the rays of the sun. Therefore, it has to produce more antioxidants to fight those free radicals that sun damage would create. So the thinner skin a fruit has, the more, you know, the more goodness it's going to have packed into it. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea. <laughs> so any berry at all, strawberry, blackberry, anything? Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when people say what are the best foods to eat for X, Y, or Z, a lot of the time, you know, I could say berries and now someone's going to think, I'm just going to eat berries for the rest of my life. <laughs> you want to crowd in and get as much variety as you can in terms of what type of fruits and then all of the foods. Uh, but, you know, different berries are going to have a different, a different content, different types of nutrients, different phytonutrients, mm. different quality of antioxidants. Then you're going into the territory of should I buy organic versus inorganic? You know, we can deliberate over what's the best quality yeah. uh, what's the best type for hours yeah. the best thing you can get is the thing that's most readily available to you and the thing that you're going to enjoy using the knowledge that you've been given which in this case is berries can have more antioxidants in them for you yeah so just eating yes it does and um like you said you know try not to get bogged down on you know what particular thing and when and stuff so is it a good idea to just kind of eat seasonally so go with what's available and fresh at the time exactly eat seasonally go with color go with what you see um if you can't afford organic vegetables or they're not available you know it's up to you to discern between what's right in that moment mm -hmm. um if you go to a local farmer's market for example most of those farmers can't afford the organic stamp but their fruit or vegetables might actually be organic yeah um, and when it comes to, you know, if I've got local Kentish strawberries that might have a couple of, um, a little bit of pesticide on them, as opposed to the acai berry from Brazil, the best quality, organic, it was blessed by a thousand virgins and watered by monks, <laughs> that's been shipped all the way over back to England. Well, I mean, just thinking about, I'm going to New York this week. I know how I feel at the end of a long haul flight. I'm exhausted. I wouldn't want to eat me after that journey. <laughs> <laughs> Go for the best that's available. And, and actually, I, I really believe that we do know what serves us and what doesn't. But there's something in here that gets in the way and that will use, you know, an article that's slated a food to justify not touching it or another article that said, this has got X, Y, Z in it. It's going to, you know, save you for the rest of your life to justify putting it into our system, including things like chocolate. Not to say we shouldn't touch chocolate, and it's certainly not to say that we should be gorging on as much chocolate as we possibly can, because the cacao bean is a superfood. Yeah, so a bit of common sense as well, really. How a, a bit of, uh, yeah, a bit of common sense, common sense, and really listening to what your body needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because deep down we know. I, I well, really believe deep down we know. And so much information is available on things like google now it's just really knowing how to discern between what is a myth and what is what is fact mm, yeah 
Okay, thank you. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, can we talk about now um, the effects of alcohol and drinking on, um, on what we eat and how we eat? But uh, first of all, we're told when we're drinking, you know, alcohol contains empty calories. What does that mean exactly? Before we talk about empty calories, mm -hmm. would it be okay just to identify food? So when we eat food, yeah. wherever it comes from, uh, whatever type of food it is, whether it's a fruit or a vegetable or a piece of pasta, a sandwich, or even an orange, orange squash, um, they are, our body looks at it as one of three things. And these are the macronutrients. And they are carbohydrates, mm -hmm. fat. So they're the three food groups. Uh, we had the food pyramid at school where there was like sweets at the top, yes. um, you know, meat and proteins. And you had the cheese and the, and the dairy section. And then you had the potatoes, pastas, starchy carb section. And then you had fruit and vegetables. And what I did not know for a long, long time was that actually fruit and vegetables are nature's carbs. Oh. And, you know, when you're putting your plate together, you think, oh, I need my carbs. But actually the first point of call for your carbohydrates should be fruits or vegetables. And then, yeah, of course, have a slice of bread or something else with it. But that is not to say that you need that. What we need are the fruits and vegetables as far as supplying carbohydrates are concerned. So the three macronutrients, again, are protein, carbs and fat. And okay. the body receives those. And it's, from, that, it's from, from those food groups that the body makes energy whether we're using that energy to lift our arm, to lift some weights or for brain food. Mm -hmm. If we eat much, the body will have excess energy in the bloodstream and it will need to store that excess energy somewhere. It might be stored in our muscles as glycogen. If we run out of space there, then it gets stored as fat. Oh, okay. um, I don't know about you, but my body is very, very good at storing fat. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't eat enough energy, whether it's coming from protein, carb or fat, the body's going to look to itself for opening up those glycogen stores in our muscles or in our liver, or mm -hmm. opening up the fat storage to get some more energy back into our bloodstream so we can move the body, use the brain, etc. Okay. Um, so going back to the three macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates and fat, mm -hmm. these guys all offer us energy, they all offer us calories. They all also offer extra things, nutrients, antioxidants, etc. Yeah. Now, um, protein, you know, animal protein, etc. Eggs, they mainly go into the protein category. Uh, mm. We've already said fruit and vegetables goes into the carb category. So does bread, pasta. Actually, dairy goes in the carbohydrate category as well. Dairy mm. is mostly sugar. Mm. Um, that's why chocolate, you know, chocolate is a superfood, but we've bastardize it a little bit because we've thrown all this milk in and we've made it a very sugary and fatty food mm. and going to fat you've got things like nuts seeds um obviously saturated fats coconut is a fat you have fat in animal products as well so different food different foods can fall into the different food groups but they're all offering us more than just calories they're all offering us building blocks to build muscle uh, phytonutrients antioxidants all the things that our body needs on a micro level. So okay. we've talked about macronutrients, but the micronutrients, vitamins and minerals. Right. In terms of where alcohol falls in these three categories. Yes. 
coal does supply energy, it does supply calories. But other than that, it doesn't offer any of those things. Now, people but are going to say no that nutrients. No nutrients, no nutrients. I know, obviously, we've talked about resveratrol, but we've already said how, how little resveratrol there is in there or whatever other nutrient we're talking about in the alcohol. Um, now, I, I know a lot of people call alcohol a sugar or a carb. Absolutely, it's a sugar. It doesn't fall into the carbohydrate category. That's not how our body receives it. The reason it gets labeled as a sugar or as an empty calorie is this. We have the alcohol and you may or may not be having food in that meal with the alcohol or throughout that day. So we're giving our body a ton of energy, you know, a ton of calories. It might be enough, it might be more than enough, or it might be not enough. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Either way, alcohol, as well as food, is giving your system energy. Now, at a certain point, the body looks at how much energy it has in the bloodstream. It's, it's, it's in the form of glucose, which also is a sugar. Yes. And remember, whether all you've eaten that day might be protein in the form of a big piece of steak, that piece of steak has to be broken down into energy, which is sugar, which is glucose. So whether it's a protein, even if it's a protein or a fat or a carb, it all gets broken down into sugar anyway. The alcohol will enter your bloodstream eventually as sugar, even though it's a toxin. Now, if you're not needing all that energy, you know, maybe you're not going on a race that day or you've, you've sat around all day outside on the, the, you know, the garden furniture drinking, exactly. Your body's got extra energy. It doesn't need it all. So it's going to store that energy for another time. Mm. And that sugar that was the potential energy for the activities that you didn't do gets stored. And it can get stored as one of two things. It can be stored from glucose into glycogen. We have glycogen storage or glycogen space in our muscles, in our liver. But that's a very finite storage unit. Once you've filled it up, you can't create any more space. Right. The well, the second port that you're going to store this extra energy is fat cells. Fat cells is very good at storing extra energy. And we can make more and more fat cells, as many as you like, which is great. So <laughs> um, the main thing about alcohol is that in a world where we've already got so much food available, therefore so many calories and all this extra <clears throat> energy available to eat, of course, alcohol might give you a good time or a release but it's giving us all this extra energy and all these extra calories, but it's not serving us on a nutrient level. Mm -hmm. That's an empty calorie, especially in a world we've got a ton of calories available anyway, and a ton of food at our fingertips. In this respect, alcohol does not serve you at all. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, it does. It makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why we get um, beer bellies and wine bellies because it just, converts to sugar and it just sits there because we're not using all the energy that we get from it yes we, we want it to convert to sugar we want anything we put in our mouth to convert to sugar because we need sugar to to move not mm. not sugar in the form of a sweet but sugar in the form of the the unit of currency that our body recognizes to help us function every day which is glucose um, but the problem is when it's in excess and it's yeah. so easy to be in excess nowadays and alcohol yeah. certainly doesn't help um, and it offers us nothing other than more calories. I don't really like using the word calories, but it offers us nothing other than that. Okay. And a, a good time. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's another debate in itself, isn't it? <laughs> so basically, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol um, and not eating because 
I mean, I used to do this a lot when I was drinking. I couldn't be bothered to make myself anything to eat, but a can of Spanish beer would fill me up. And looking back, that's just so bad. But I know a lot of people do. If you've, you know, like we're talking about earlier on, you know, you're on the go all the time. You haven't got time to stop and make something to eat. So you might turn to a drink and that kind of gives you an energy boost. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not what you should be doing really, is it? No, I mean, and yes, of course, it's giving you an energy boost or, or maybe a bit of a lull later on, but then you go for another one. Um, also, what it's doing is when we're having these, it's not necessarily a high sugar drink. I mean, some of them are, some of them aren't, but it is going to cause an excess rush of sugar in our bloodstream as the body converts it into energy. Mm. And this is going to encourage our bodies to store fat, particularly triglycerides, um, which is not a good type of fat we want in our system. Okay. And I've lost my train of thought. What are we talking about? Oh, not being hungry. Yeah, you're not hungry the nutrition it needs. Also, then just look at why you're having the drink. Um, there's something called primary foods. Ooh. And very often we will we'll be starving for the primary foods. And when you're starving for the primary foods, you just can't get enough of anything else to fill you up. The primary foods are actually your relationships, your career, exercise in your life and spirituality. Um, and if any of those are off, then you're going to turn to secondary foods, which is food or alcohol. And yeah. um, basically emotional eating. And often we don't realize that we're doing it. Um, I mean, actually, for me, emotional eating is probably or drinking is probably the smartest thing you can do, because in that moment, it takes away the the hunger that you have for the primary food, which is the real thing that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, it, it masks it and it makes you feel better. So yes. yeah, great. Yeah. The only problem is you can't do it 24 seven. I don't know anyone that can eat 24 seven no. or drink 24 seven. So that feeling is going to come back. And what's worse is when the, the, the primary feeling, the primary deficiency in that primary food, whether it's your relationships, um, whether it's your career, your exercise or spirituality or all of the above, mm. it's going to come back even worse because you're going to feel either very, very bloated, more heavier than you wanted to feel, full, hungover. Yeah. Uh, or, and it just adds another layer onto the primary issue, which is not related to food or drink at all. But yeah, logically, it fixes something for a short while. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the long run, um, mm. we need to address the the underlying issues that are causing this exactly and and a lot of people it can take a lot of people a long time to actually realize that mm. and whether or not they act on it is another thing as well and you know you don't necessarily need a therapist you need a pen and paper and you need to want to do the work yes that's a really good point we talk about that in the program um i try and get people to work out what it is that they're trying to achieve in that moment you know when they would usually reach for a drink so for example for me I would come in from the school run having been working all morning um, with my kids and before I did anything else whether it would be making lunch or whatever I would sit down and I would have a beer because mm -hmm. in that moment I was trying to have maybe five minutes break I was trying to separate myself from being you know um, being at work and then to becoming a mum again so it was that kind of transition period. And that's what I used, you know, my beer for at midday. 
to make the switch. But a lot of people use it because, you know, they're stressed or they want to relax or they want to have a good time or they want to let off steam. And, you know, so like we said, you know, we need to work out what it really is you're trying to achieve, whether it be in that moment or whether it be, you know, what you've just talked about in the long run on the, on the whole. And it becomes habitual, right? We don't even notice that we're doing it. We don't. Or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really, I did your seven day, um, well, I'm going through your seven day retreat. And what I love about it is the content doesn't take a long time to read. No, um, it doesn't. No, which is great because there's all these courses and it's, it's quite time consuming when, mm. you know, our lives are already quite full or packed. Yeah. And, and once you've read it, it's up to you. Are you going to do the work or not? Are you going to write exactly. down you know, your action points or not? Yeah. Oh, I'm pleased to you. <laughs> My pleasure. That's lovely. <laughs> okay, now this is a, a really important question. Um, we talked about um, alcohol kind of filling you up, uh, giving you lots of energy. So why is it then, after you've been out on the, you know, drinking of an evening, why is it that when you come home, despite having been filled up, and got all this energy from the alcohol, why do we reach for a giant piece of chocolate cake or a kebab or a big greasy burger? Well, with what we just spoke about a moment ago, it could be that you stop filling up this way, you have that pause, the primary food issue comes up, you know, the feeling of lacking or a deficiency in connection with another person or that, you know, the job you're doing is not quite right. Mm. And so you want to fill the hole again. Yeah. And because you've now lost inhibition because you're, you know, because you've had alcohol, it's a lot easier to do that. Despite whether you're on a diet or, you know, you're vegan, but all of a sudden there's a lamb shish kebab right in front of you and it goes on. Yeah. Um, maybe it's habitual. You know, we go out, you have a good time with friends and you, you go to the kebab shop afterwards. I, but we, we, yeah, we're starving at the end of the night out, aren't we? Mm -hmm. um, is it mistaking hunger for thirst? After a night of drinking, you know, alcohol interferes with the body's diuretics and the way in which the kidneys work. Okay. I know for, for certain it's sometimes very hard to distinguish between actually, you know, I think that I'm experiencing hunger, but it's the thirst. So that's on a physiological level rather than the, 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 the emotional and psychological level of actually you could still be emotionally eating after having been emotionally drinking. Um, but actually, after drinking, we can go into a state of hypoglycemia, so hypo of low blood sugar. And that's just because of, without getting too sciencey, that's just because of the way the liver is metabolizing the alcohol. Okay. So even though we are processing alcohol and alcohol encourages our body to store fat, you know, and if we're storing fat, then there's this idea that we've put in more calories than our body actually needs so surely we've got plenty of food plenty of energy yeah however the way in which the liver is metabolizing that toxicity it can send our body into a state of hypoglycemia if you think about it the body is now having to say store fat store fat store fat so we're not burning fat because we need to burn energy and use energy it's putting everything away in the deep stores mm -hmm. and very little running in the bloodstream uh, I mean, you know, even the next day after a big drinking session, sometimes you can be quite shaky, really low energy, even when your appetite is super low. 
and, and it's the way in which energy is moving through from the liver into our body. Um, that energy is just not readily available. It's all being packed into our fat cells. Okay. Okay. Is that one of the reasons why we feel so awful, basically, when we're hungover, where we're shaky and we're lightheaded? And is that because of that as well? Yes. Yeah. So when you know, when the liver is having to process what is not a macronutrient, a protein, carbs or fat, it's a toxin. Um, mm -hmm. The body sends this signal to store fat. And even though we aren't burning fat necessarily, uh, we crave this immediate energy. Well, yeah. Even though the body's storing it, that energy is there. Um, well, well, the kebab shop's around the corner or the fridge is <laughs> open. So we just eat it. And that's a very, very immediate energy whilst the body continues to store fat. Mm. Okay, okay. So why then, um, and this I might just be me, I don't know, but when, when I was drinking, I remember that I used to eat a lot while I was drinking. But I always had the munchies, you know, I would want crisps and nuts and not so much sweet things, but I was want to be eating while I was drinking. Whereas now, you know, I'd sit here with my cup of tea, my one of ten, as you know about. But I'm not compelled to have a bowl of nuts with my cup of tea. So what is it about the alcohol that makes us want to snack? I think it's because drinking is social and eating is social. Yeah. I mean, you know, what about when it's not social, when you're on your own? Well, if you're drinking... If that's an emotional thing, again, if you're covering up a primary food issue, then, you know, having the food as well, adding that crunch to it, you probably ticked all, you've probably ticked all the boxes now. You really are covering those primary issues. Mm. Um, one thing I also wonder about, and I don't know the answer to this, um, is the big food industry. So uh, a man that I work for, his name is Jason Vale. If you read any of his books, he talks about in big capital letters, he, he, he writes as in exactly the same way as he speaks, the big food industry. Yes. And there is so much money in the big food industry um, that, you know, we, they want people to be addicted to food. Back 50 years ago when the corn industry, or longer than 50 years ago, when the corn industry was being developed, you know, the corn as an ingredient was in so many foods, mm. all of the world pretty much, yeah. um, and processed foods. But as a food industry, even back then, when the corn industry was booming, they looked at that as a business and they thought, how can we get this business to grow? You want any business to grow. Mm. However, when it comes to food or when it comes to business relating to food, you can only get that business to grow as much as the population would be growing because people eat what people eat. People eat the amount they, their bodies need and, and that's it. Yeah. And you can't, um, you can't increase the population density or you can't increase the population at the rate that you decide just so that you earn a little bit more on the bottom line every year. Mm. But what the industry was able to do was make food, which was a natural food at one stage into an addictive product. So even though people didn't need to eat more, they learned how to make people eat more. And that, you know, sent the bottom line flying. Dear me, that's shocking when you put it like that. Yeah. yeah. And also it's not just the big food industry now, it's the big health food industry, people, me included. Mm. You, know, you walk into a health food shop and think, right, everything in this place is safe. I can eat anything because it's all, everything in this shop is good for me. And maybe because it's good for me, I can eat 10 times as much. Mm. It, might help, it may help me 
or it may not. But the person who it helps 100% of the time through sales are the people selling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you could say the same thing about the big alcohol industry as well, couldn't you? Because we don't need it, yet we're being convinced that, that, we, that we should have it now. And we've become addicted to it, haven't we? Exactly. And, you know, what better thing to work, you know, beverage companies working with the food companies. How can we make this, you know, let's put salty food in a bar so people are going to order more drinks because they're thirsty. There must be a way in which it works the other way around. Well, if people are drunk, they lose inhibition, eat more food. It benefits both industries. Yeah. And they all know each other anyway now. Yeah. Well, I live in Spain, as you know, and it's really popular to go out just before two o'clock. And then again, about nine o'clock in the evening before dinner to have uh, tapas. And one of the things that they do in the bars is that they give you um, serrano ham, which is cured salty ham, as your tapas. And I was told this by the bar owner, and they give you this ham and peanuts and crisps because they're salty. So then you order another beer because you feel suddenly thirsty. And they do this on purpose to get you to you drink. What, you know what, it's funny, and I don't know it's because I know that you're in Spain, it must be hot where you are but even, I've never been a beer drinker I, I've drunk one corona in my life and it's because somebody dared me to um but it, the, it was funny because the way you said beer I almost could feel and think yeah that must be quite a refreshing thing to have when you're in Spain and it's hot yeah but actually more refreshing than having water yes well I would have been in front of you of course yeah. the beer comes into your brain yeah you know, yeah yeah I was a huge huge beer drinker I had a beer belly and everything um and now you never have a beer belly <laughs> <laughs> I was like that um I'm about 48 kilos now but two years ago <laughs> just before I stopped drinking I was um 65 kilos and wow. that and it was all bloatedness um and that was because of the beer I'm sure it was I'm sure it was um so yeah but no beer is not good it's not good but luckily here in Spain there's a big market for um alcohol free beers in my local supermarket which is a tiny little spa you can choose from at least six alcohol free beers which is really fabulous yeah yeah and they're all really good we've tried them all and they're all really good so thankfully it's not unusual here to drink um, alcohol-free things. You know, when you go out, it's perfectly fine, which is nice. And just finally, Victoria, um, you've been so inspiring, enthusiastic today, and I love the kind of way that you've described things that make sense to normal people like me, who, you know, I, I've got a big understanding about food and science and things. So if somebody kind of really gets this and wants to go deeper in terms of their, you know, their, their physical nutrition, their, their emotional well-being and everything. What kind of services do you offer? Because you mentioned retreats there earlier on and also working with people. So how could people work with you if they wanted more deeper guidance or one-to-one -one personal um service if you like uh, yes um i offer retreats 
where people can come, uh, you know, when they want to lighten the load mentally and physically. They tend to be juicing retreats or raw food or plant-based retreats mm. uh, where there's yoga twice a day at least and often fitness and Zumba. It's a really great opportunity for people to come away and be themselves and be there for themselves. Uh, what I'm doing a lot more now, especially because I travel so much, is I do a lot of one-to-one work online. So I work with people to meet their goals, whether it's a fat loss goal, whether it's addressing sleep issues, uh, whether it's addressing wanting to make bigger changes in their life. Uh, but I offer all of that online, uh, over Skype, over WhatsApp call or phone call, depending mm-hmm. on what works best for people. And as well as that, from time to time, I do the, on, the odd online seminar. So you can find me on Facebook as Yogi Foodie Fitty, it's a mouthful, uh, Yogi Foodie Fitty Victoria Adams. Or yes. You can find me from, yeah. Or you can find me on my your website. website. <laughs> uh, my website is victoriaadams.co.uk, and I'm on Instagram just as Victoria Adams. With one okay. Week. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share and subscribe. For more help and support, go to the Sober Bliss website, soberbliss.com. Connect with me on social media and learn how I can help you quit drinking and start living.